Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here and welcome to part two of our off-season series at Monday Match Analysis where I preview the players in order of the of the current ATP World Tour rankings. Last one was Rafa Nadal, this one is Novak Djokovic. So let's waste no time before I get into his 2019. I, I have thoughts on the season he had. I think it was a nuanced season for Novak Djokovic. There are, are things to be really happy about, things to be unhappy about when it comes to uh, last season. But I see 2020 as a crossroads for Djokovic because it's very easy to take for granted what Federer and Nadal have done in defying what we normally think of as the prime of a tennis career, defying the laws of, of aging and playing well into their mid-30s. It's something that is completely and utterly abnormal until this point for a tennis player to do. So Djokovic being the youngest of the three, it is very easy to fall into the thinking that he will automatically do the same thing as Federer and Nadal. Uh, it's important to recognize that there is a world, that there is a possibility that Djokovic follows more normal aging patterns. And 2020 is when we're going to find out a lot about whether or not Djokovic will continue the trend of ageless wonders and he will make three for three out of the big three in players who can stay at the top of the sport through their mid-30s. There's a lot of reason to suggest that Djokovic can, can do that. One, he still is defending better than anyone in the sport, in my opinion. And that doesn't mean, has he lost a step? I think so. Is his court coverage the same as it was in the mid-2010s, the early 2010s? I don't think so. But when you consider the, the level that his court coverage still is at, and you consider his defensive racket skills, which is superior than some of the players who are probably faster than him on tour, such as an Alex Dimonor, I still think Djokovic is the best defender on tour. I think his backhand is still the very best backhand on tour. Uh, his return is still the best, at least first serve return on tour. There are probably second serve returns that are better than his. Um, Djokovic has all that going for him. The biggest thing that he has going for him, the number one thing he has going for him, is his ability to handle pressure, which I still believe far exceeds Nadal and Federer. His nerve management, the 
his ability to maintain his highest level in pressure situations, which is something that really very, very, very few players, if any, can do. Even the greats. Even the greats get worse in the biggest moments. It's true. You might think they come through. You might think they're clutch. But at the end of the day, pressure's bad. Nerves are bad. They make you play worse. You play better in practice than in a match, generally speaking. At least you hit better shots. You move better in a match, higher intensity. Uh, but for the most part, nerves are bad. Pressure's bad. Djokovic has somehow, especially in recent times, he's found a way to somehow be immune to that. It showed in some of the biggest moments in his season. It showed in the final against Federer. It showed in his tiebreak record in 2019. He was 14 and 5 in tiebreaks. And generally speaking, Djokovic would just put up a wall. When tiebreak when tiebreaks came, he would put up a wall. He wouldn't miss. You wouldn't get an error. He would maintain the quality. It's easy to push and not make an error under pressure which a lot of people, a lot of players will do. They'll push because they're scared to, to miss under pressure. But now your quality drops. Djokovic maintains his quality. He doesn't miss under pressure. Uh, that is something that he has, in my mind, a clear advantage over Federer and Nadal, who, in my opinion, still feel nerves, still feel the adverse effects of nerves. That's all the things that Djokovic has going for him in 2020. It's a long list. I'll hold my prediction for the end. With that being said, there is reason for concern based on 2019. There were some bad things. Now, at the end of the day, you take a step back. What do these players care about? What does Djokovic care about? The majors. Four tournaments. That's Djokovic's priority. He said that, plain and clear. My priorities are the majors. Djokovic has said that. He won two in 2019. His performance is in Australia was pristine. He made under 20 errors combined in the semifinal against Luca Pui and the final against Rafa Nadal. It doesn't get much better than that. His level throughout the entire Australian Open was astronomical. Then he goes to Wimbledon. His level is not the same. He doesn't have his best stuff, but he shows us some of the best mental fortitude we've ever seen on a tennis court to overcome Federer playing pretty well, Djokovic not having his best level, the center crowd court against him, and he never let up. He never got impatient. He continued to fight, make as many balls as he could, and in the pressure situations, he held up better than Federer. One of the best mental performances we've seen on a tennis court. What does he come away with? Two major titles. So you look back at, at 2019, and from that perspective, you have to be pretty happy if you're Novak Djokovic, if you're a fan of Novak Djokovic. Outside of the majors, um, there were it, it was not the, the kind of season that we've become used to for Djokovic. And when you consider the mega, ultra-high standards that Djokovic, in my opinion, deserves, when you consider the the expectations that we put on Novak Djokovic, he probably underperformed in 2019 based on his insane expectations. Yeah, two majors, but I think most people expected that. What, what I didn't expect was for him to not dominate 
most of the tournaments he played. And that he did not do. Came away with five titles, but only two Masters. And I think the main reason why it didn't feel like Djokovic had the same kind of dominant season uh, is because of what he did against top 10 opponents. And uh, I, I had to dig through the stats to, to kind of figure out, okay, why did this feel like a not a down season, but why did it feel like Djokovic didn't meet expectations in 2019? And I don't think the answer was in his total record. There's his overall record. He was 57 and 11. Would that be a worse record than any of the years in his prime? 2011 through 2016 is what I consider to be his prime. 2017 was a bit of a throwaway year where he was really dealing with, uh, he was struggling mentally and physically. 2018, the first half, he was poor, still dealing with the same mental and physical issues. Second half of 2018 was dominant, which set the stage for 2019. But as you can see, he won 84% of his matches in 2019. That would have been lower than any season he had 2011 through 2016, where his lowest win percentage was 86% in 2012. But he had way more wins. He was 75 wins compared to 57 wins. Uh, and one more loss in 2012. So, But the, the record alone, I don't think, tells the full story of why Djokovic's season didn't uh, felt underwhelming. There's, uh, this, this is his totals against top 10 opponents. He was 12-6 and six against top 10, or excuse me, 9-6 and six against top 10 opponents in 2019. This is a telling number. In 2018, he was 12 and 1. In 2016, he was 21 and 4. In 2015, he was 31 and 5. 2019 again, 9 and 6. We've become used to seeing seasons that Djokovic puts together where he's consistently beating the upper echelon of his competition. And this season, it just didn't feel like he was dominating the best players in the world. Felt like he was winning a lot, but it felt like he was also taking a lot of losses to uh, some of his stiffest competition. Two losses to Dominic Thiem. A loss to Stefanos Tsitsipas, which he did avenge. A loss to Roger Federer. A loss to Daniil Medvedev. A loss to Rafa Nadal. Again, this is, putting, this is putting unreal expectation on Djokovic to not think that these losses are going to happen. But if you look at the numbers, if you look at what he's done, he deserves it. He deserves these expectations because he has been better. There are a couple reasons why I think this happened. One is his political involvement in tennis, which he admitted affected him, especially in the Sunshine Double, where he lost to Roberto Bautista Agut in Miami. He lost to Philip Kohlschreiber at Indian Wells. And um, after his loss in Miami, he said, quote, I think my team wants me to step down, honestly. That's what he said. Then he said, I feel something telling me from inside that I'm supposed to still stay there. Because I feel that we are a part of this big transitional phase in tennis at the moment. He's referring 
to a, a major fight that, that occurred on the ATP Player Council, which is a governing body that he is the head of, where five players on the council wanted the current chairman, Chris Kermode, out. Five players wanted him to stay. And there was a lot of infighting, and there were long meetings, and there was a lot of backstabbing. There was Federer and Nadal getting involved at, at a certain point. There was pressure from the media wanting to know more about what was going down behind closed doors. And it was a distracting thing for Djokovic, who I think is admittedly somewhat fragile to off-court distractions. I think he lets the off-the-court stuff seep in to his on-the-court results at times. And I really do feel, and Djokovic, I don't, I don't really need to be the source here. Djokovic admitted that it affected him. So that's the first thing at play. Probably led to some inconsistent results, some uneven results, some uneven results mentally. Sometimes he just looked flat out there. And I want to go through his losses momentarily. So the first thing is the tennis politics. The second thing was the elbow injury. That occurred more late in the year. In the summer, U.S. Open Series, the, the uh, loss to Medvedev at Cincinnati, he seemed to be rubbing the elbow at points during that tournament. He goes to the U.S. Open, and we're wondering how his elbow's going to feel. Eventually, he retires to Stan Wawrinka in a match I think he may have lost anyway, but uh, we'll never know, and he never g gave himself a chance uh, because of his elbow. The, the third thing is I think that his forehand was somewhat inconsistent at certain points in this season. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up the, the losses that Djokovic suffered in 2019. This is every single loss he suffered in the year 2019. And I think the common theme here, when I go through these losses, is very rarely did we see a Novak Djokovic who was close to 100% dropping these matches. Normally we saw a less than 100% Djokovic. Normally we saw that something was wrong with Djokovic on that given day, which is a positive and a negative. You can look at it both ways. Glass half full, at least he's not at his best when he loses. That would signal that there's a decline in the ceiling of his of his level and what he can do. Glass half empty is how come Djokovic is how come Djokovic is coming to the court so often with less than his best. Against Phil, against RBA in Doha, it was a bad forehand match where he couldn't generate offense. Didn't have the timing on his forehand. Against Cole Schreiber at Indian Wells. It was the same thing. N really not good timing. Couldn't generate offense. Was not playing close to the lines because he didn't have good footwork. He didn't have good timing. So he couldn't. He wouldn't play an aggressive shot. Against RBA in Miami, somewhat similar story, but I also felt like there was a fitness issue at play in Miami where he seemed to get pretty tired. Had similar issues generating offense, but I thought not a good fitness match from Djokovic. Against Medvedev at Monte Carlo, similar. Medvedev, elite cardio. Monte Carlo, such a slow court. You, these rallies had to be very, very long, and Medvedev was simply able to stand in there longer. Djokovic 
was not able to really go into the trenches with Medvedev physically at this match. He loses it. So bad cardio match, bad forehand matches against Nadal at Rome. Uh, at this point, Djokovic was playing pretty well. He had just won Madrid. Uh, I thought that that this was one of those losses where uh, Djokovic probably was close to his best level. Or at least an acceptable level. Roland Garros against team. I've made my, my thoughts on this match very well known. I think that Djokovic should be disappointed with how he competed early on. He didn't want to be out there. In the first set, he didn't really make team play very well because Djokovic lost to the wind. And you should never lose to the wind. You should never let the, the elements beat you mentally. Uh, especially at, at the stage that Djokovic is at in his career. I really think that he should have been better than that. I was hard on him after the match. I'm hard on him now. I, I feel like he should be disappointed there. Now, by the end of the match, of course, you have the rain delay. It, they, they resumed play on the Saturday. They started the match on the Friday. They didn't resume play until Saturday. Then uh, I felt that, that Djokovic did everything he could, and credit to Dominic Team in the fifth set, still beat him 7-5. Djokovic had some chances. It could have gone either way, but Team is going to be difficult for, for Djokovic on clay. And, and I think that even when Djokovic does play his best, I think Team can still beat him, challenge him. And that's what he did in the latter stages of that French Open match. But who knows how it would have played out if Djokovic didn't spot him a set. Essentially, Djokovic started the match down one set to love because it, it took him a while to come to terms with the fact that he was going to have to be out there and play this match. Uh, Medvedev at Cincinnati, that was not a good returning match for Djokovic. Really struggled on the return. Medvedev also served really, really well. I mean, Medvedev redlined in that match, so I don't think that that was all a very bad loss. U.S. Open against Vavrinka. Flat mentally and then also physically had the elbow problem that he ultimately retired from. Tsitsipas in Shanghai also felt he was flat mentally in that match. But again, a really bad forehand match from Djokovic. Then he has the two losses against team in London at the O2 Arena and the, the loss to Federer at the O2 Arena. That's the exception to, to this rule where I, I also thought that Djokovic... It's not good that he lost if you're if you're Novak Djokovic. You know, you're not you're not okay with losing, but at the same time, he he didn't play bad. And there wasn't anything uh apparent there wasn't anything that was excruciatingly gone wrong with Djokovic in, in those two matches. Um, so if you look at his losses, there was just a lot of moments in the season where, where he wasn't, he wasn't a hundred percent for 2020. That brings me to the keys, the three keys. Uh, the one thing, the first key is his physical consistency. I feel like Djokovic could be a little bit more consistent with his physical fitness or not. 
that depends on on what Djokovic's priorities are because it seemed to me there seemed to be a clear pattern in 2019 that he was in the lead up to to slams he was in the process of getting in shape by the time the slams came around other than maybe the US Open where he was dealing with with other with other stuff it seemed to me that Djokovic was in good shape obviously Australian Open he was in great shape by the time the French came around, he seemed to be in pretty good shape. And by the time the uh, by the time Wimbledon came around, he was clearly in pretty good shape. But around the edges, I'm not so sure. There were times where Djokovic, it seemed like he was not willing to play very, very physical tennis, which is something that he really needs to do to, to be his best. So physical consistency that also brings in the, the injury stuff and, and how his elbow is going to come up. It's my number one key is the physical consistency and his fitness level overall. Second key is the mental buy-in outside of slams and in slams. Can he be more consistent with his compete level and his motivation? I think you'd be kidding yourself if you said that you know, I'm not going to go back into the French Open thing, but I, I've made my thoughts clear on that. I think that is an area for improvement. I also think at the U.S. Open, he was pretty dejected and, you know, mentally out of it from the elbow injury. I don't think that it was your signature, your, your signature fight from Djokovic. And when he digs his heels in, there is no one more resilient than Djokovic. We saw that. At Wimbledon, we've seen that throughout his career. We've seen that really in, in his entire career arc. We've seen how resilient he is. But it's been somewhat inconsistent, which you're going to find is kind of the key word here. C consistency is kind of the key word with what, what he could improve on next season. Um, the last thing is the forehand. Going through those losses, there, there were a couple of moments here where the, fore, the timing and the footwork on the forehand seemed to go awry. And he needs that forehand. When the forehand is on, and I think technically and tactically speaking, that's the X factor in Djokovic's game. Everything else is pretty consistent. When the forehand is on, he is the hardest puzzle to solve in, in men's tennis. It was probably Nadal in 2019, but in the last decade, he's been consistently the most difficult puzzle to solve when the forehand is on. Too often, last season, it wasn't quite there. And the reason he needs that shot is because it's his main source of offense off the ground. Yes, he has the best backhand on tour, but why is that? It's important to remember why that backhand is great. What makes that backhand great? It's not instant offense. It's the fact that, let's just put it this way, good luck getting a short ball off of Djokovic's backhand wing. It's the consistency and it's the, and it's the quality off of that wing. I bet I'd be willing to bet that he has one of the highest average depths of shot when it comes to his backhand. 
His topspin backhand, that is. He rarely misses it. The quality is consistent. He puts it in the right spot. He changes direction with it. He defends. He's able to step in and attack. I mean, it's a versatile shot. You never, you almost never get an error off that wing. You almost never get a short ball off that wing. It is rock solid. That's why it's the best backhand on tour. It is not the best backhand on tour because he can take a neutral ball and create easy offense, instant offense off of it. It's not the best backhand on tour because if you drop a ball slightly short, he's going to crack a winner, crack a backhand winner. Generally not how that shot is. That needs to be the forehand. He needs to be able to create offense off the forehand, which means he needs to get the ball in his strike zone, which sometimes wasn't happening when, when he was struggling. In the Pass match, in the matches in Miami and, the, and Indian Wells, even in Rome against Nadal, I felt he was struggling to get the ball in his strike zone because his, his footwork was off kilter. And he needs to be able to time the ball so he's able to play close to the lines. He's able to go for his shots. He's able to be aggressive off his forehand wing. That wasn't always there. When that's there, again, there's not a lot of players who are going to be able to beat him. And I'm not really sure why that wasn't always on Djokovic's side. I'm not sure why that part of his game was so inconsistent in 2019. But those are the three keys. Physical fitness, mental buy-in, motivation, and the forehand. Here's what I'm expecting from Djokovic. I'm expecting that Djokovic has a less tumultuous season outside the majors. I'm also expecting that Djokovic has a tremendous season on faster courts. I do think that he's reached a point, given the deficiency that Djokovic has in the power department, I think he's reached a point where he will continue to struggle against Dominic Thiem if he meets him on a clay court. I think he'll continue to struggle against Nadal if he meets him on the slower clay courts on tour. I think there's a major power deficiency there, and they do some other things just as well as Djokovic. They're able to be um, consistent enough. Djokovic is not the player he was in the early 2010s when it comes to his cardio and his defense that maybe could have carried him through some of those matches. I don't think that Djokovic is in that place anymore, so I think that we are going to start to see Djokovic's best results skew towards the faster courts on tour. But I think he goes into the Australian Open and Wimbledon. He should be able to go into these those two tournaments, the favorite as the defending champion. And I expect him to have more consistent results on some of the master tournament the Masters tournaments that we've seen him have success on in the past. Indian Wells, Miami, and uh Rogers Cup, and Cincinnati. And I expect him to get some of those titles back in 2020. There's a lot of pressure on him, I think, to, to win those tournaments when it comes to, from a rankings perspective. I, I talked about in the Nadal preview, the kind of position that Nadal's in, because if Nadal can just play even with Djokovic at some of these faster tournaments, uh, it puts him in a great position because Nadal has the upper ha hand 
uh, over the course of the clay court season with the couple of masters that they that lie there and of course Roland Garros. A crossroads season for Djokovic in 2020. I'm really curious, really interested to see how he plays. Uh, and the Australian Open is going to be interesting and exciting when not only is he dealing with his rivals Federer and Nadal, but he'll also perhaps have to deal with a rival in Daniil Medvedev who's matched up quite well with him. He, he may have to deal with someone in Dominic Team who beat him twice last season. It's the rise of Novak Djokovic, but uh, or excuse me, it is a point where Novak Djokovic probably feels like a bit of an underdog. And that's precisely why I think you might feel good about him proving some of the doubters wrong here, if there are any doubters out there, if there are any people who think that Djokovic is about to begin a decline, because it, it's a microcosm of his entire life. And I feel like Djokovic enjoys the underdog role ever since... Look, he was a kid from Serbia. It, you know, it was a war-torn country with no tennis history. He was never supposed to amount to anything. Djokovic is inherently an underdog. And you can never change that about him. He will always be, in a certain sense, an underdog. And I think he feels most natural in that role. I think he feels most natural when he has something to prove, when he has a chip on his shoulder. That will certainly be true in 2020. That's all I got. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.